The following message entitled, Desperate But Delivered, was given by C.B. Etter on April 4, 2014 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Thanks for taking your seats. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming this morning. I'm really excited to have my friend C.B. Etter here this morning. C.B. is pastor of Christ Community Church in Reading, Pennsylvania, which he started along with a team of 11 people in 2001, which I can't imagine how hard that would be just to go into a new place with 11 other people in your family and start a church and the church is flourishing. I've had the privilege to go out there, and it's, a, it's just a great church. And uh, if you have not yet met CB, I'm excited you're going to get to hear him this morning. CB and his wife Shannon have three daughters, Ashlyn, Verity, and Evelyn, and one son, Blair. CB has spoken here a number of times in our youth camp a number of times. And last night, he served our parents and teens by speaking at Transform. And... We're also glad to have the worship leader from CB's church, Damien Drago, Marty and Mary Ann's son. Notice how everybody clapped for Damien, nobody clapped for CB. We'll, we'll clap for you, CB. We'll clap for you. <laughs> and uh, Damien was a member of our church many years ago when he attended IUP. Damien, great to have you here. Beard is looking really good. Your your beard's okay, CB. First uh, <laughs> Thessalonians 5:11 says, "Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing." And one of the many things I appreciate about you, CB, is CB is a constant encourager. Whenever we talk, he's always asking me how I'm doing, and he's always encouraging me about something. And even when I ask him how he is doing and his family, pretty soon he has turned it back on my head and is encouraging me about something. So, CB, that is, I, I really appreciate that about you. And I want to tell the church, there's something else you need to know about CB. Apparently, when he was in college, he was pretty buff. And he'll, he'll tell you about that anytime you, you'd want to talk about it. He was... He was seriously into sports and weightlifting and flexing his muscles. And now he's 40, and I'm not sure when the last time he exercised was, <laughs> but, but in his mind he is still 20 years old and muscular. And, and in fact, he used to carry around a photo of himself in college flexing his muscles not that many years ago. And, uh, and if you ask ask him he might actually have that photo with him today <laughs> he'd be happy to show it to you and since cb is such an encourager i think it would really bless him today if a number of us could just tell him how great he looks and what amazingly great shape he is in <laughs> so can you join me in welcoming america's buffest 40 year old cb Edder? Oh my goodness, it is so good to be with you all, uh, and this picture that Mark was talking about, I don't know what made me do it, but that one time I took a trip to uh, Zambia uh, with Dave Harvey to go on a mission trip to encourage pastors, and when we got there, Dave and Pete Greasley and the other guy, Gareth Lloyd, they fell asleep in the van, and we were with this this pastor from Africa, and I just... I, I was in the front seat with him driving, and, and nobody was talking, and Dave's like sleeping, the guys are sleeping, and I was like, man, this guy might not feel like encouraged or something if we don't talk to him and stuff. So I started, 
I didn't know what to really talk to him about, and so I got my picture out of me in college, like, flexing my pipes, and, uh, and uh, I had, like, this Jean-Claude Van Damme poster right behind it, and, and my hair looked like Jimmy Morrison from the Doors, all crazy and out of control, and, uh, and I just said, here, I just want to show you this, and... And the way Dave Harvey tells it is that, like, he, he was, like, half in and out of sleep, and his eyes just kind of open, and he because I showed him the picture on the plane. And, um, and, and he just couldn't believe that I was about ready to go and show this to this new pastor from Africa that we had just met. And I just kind of wanted to break the ice and make the guy feel like, hey, you know, like, we're, we're normal guys, too. And I remember Dave Harvey saying... That is not going to give them that impression. Like, what is wrong with you? You, you? Bring a picture of your wife and your kids. What is wrong with you that you would bring a picture from college of you flexing? And, like, and, 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 and he, he tells the way he tells the story is that he was just, he couldn't do it because he was like sleeping still, but it was like, no, <laughs> to try to reach out, but it was too late, and I gave it to the pastor, and he's in, we were in the van together, and he just is looking at the picture, and, and I'm thinking, man, he's going to really know, like, we're just kind of normal guys now, and we'll be able to talk now, like, as if we've been friends for life, and, and, and Dave was right, that pastor just looked at it and kind of smiled, and like, <laughs> just like, Oh, thank you. Like, I don't think he even knew it was me because, you know, like Mark said, like, I, I like to think that I'm buff, but like, look at me. You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> and so I, I got all kinds of crazy, weird stories. Like, I'll tell you sometime, but like, we need to get into work. <laughs> so why don't you open up your Bibles to Psalm 40? And I'm so glad to be here church. And I, I do. I, I love this church. I love the youth in this church. I was so honored that Joe and Mark invited me and Bob invited me to come and be with the youth last night. You've got such a wonderful group of youth and parents in this church. I mean, you guys fire me up. When I think of the next generation that's getting raised up in this church for the glory of God, for the advance of the cause of Christ, I just get so excited as I talk with so many of the young men and young women in the youth ministry. And parents, just want to encourage you. are doing such a great job with those kids. And there's nothing more important in this life than just us pouring out the gospel into their lives and into everybody that we meet in this church to encourage them in Christ and to point them to this great Savior, Jesus, who died for us, and to do all we can to just try to sharpen them like arrows so we can send them out to just, just to accomplish uh, the, the proclamation of the gospel in their generation. And I just want to encourage you, you're doing a great job. I, I love this church. I love being here. And um, I, I just want you to know how much I love and respect Mark and Joe and Bob and just the, the, the pastors you have in this church. And I'm, I'm just really looking forward to the days ahead because your future in Christ is bright here as a local church. And I'm, I'm so excited to be able just to be a part of it and to be a friend. And and um, I'm really looking forward as well to just seeing God afresh this morning in his words. Psalm 40 is the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open to Psalm 40, and we're going to read God's word together. Psalm chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. 
I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh my God. The title of the message is Desperate But Delivered. Desperate But Delivered. Let's pray together. Oh, Almighty God, as we look at David's life, we see a man who so many times in his life was just brought into just places of utter desperation. And Lord, as we look at his life of faith and his walk of faith in you, we see it resonating with our own because we look into our own lives right now and we we see the desperation Lord, we are greatly in need of you individually as Christians, and we are desperately in need of you as a church body. We need you, Lord. We are poor and needy, but thank you so much, Almighty God, that you take thought for me. Thank you that you take thought for this dear church that I love, and thank you that you are ever with us to preserve us. We love you, and we ask that you would strengthen our hearts today as we Look at your holy word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, this, this psalm, when you look at the, the header, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. And, and what's wonderful about this psalm is that it was meant to be put to music. It's a psalm that really is precious, and David gives it to his choir master, his his chief musician, his head of worship, his Damien Drago, and tells them to put it to the best music you can put to. I, I was reflecting on this psalm. U2 has a song back in their old school album called 40, if you might remember it. And U2 has a song based off of this psalm. And, and it's been meant to be put to music from the time that David um, put it down in writing and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's such an inspiring psalm because it really deals with just the battles of real life, the real Christian life in relation to the fact that we are desperate but delivered. And what I want to look at first is in the very beginning of this psalm, David reflects upon the fact that he's been delivered. In fact, in verses 1 through 3 here, you see David reflecting on this great deliverance that God has wrought in his life and his salvation. And I think it's going to really inspire all of us. Look there together with me, if you would, in Psalm 40 there, verse 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. That, that word there, I waited, is really an intense word. It's, it's literally, I waited. Waited for the Lord. It's like a double waited and it, there's an urgency to this psalm right when it starts out. The, the desperation is immediately there. And that he inclined to me and heard my cry is literally God bent down to a beggar like me and had mercy on me. That's King David's perspective when he thinks about how God has saved him and has brought him out of, the, out of his 
desperate, desperate troubles. He bent down to me. The king of kings bent down to me. I always love those pictures in the Gospels of Jesus hearing that one person in the crowd that's just desperate and Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And he goes. Everybody else doesn't hear it, but Jesus hears it. And he hears our cries like that. And he goes over. And aren't you so thankful, brothers and sisters, that we have a God who bends down. And when we can't even get up on our feet, and we are so low and so broken, so desperate, it's so good to know that we have a God who bends down to get us, to meet us, to embrace us. And he's done that. That is what our Lord has done for us and saving us. And it's also what he continues to do every day of our Christian lives as he continues to sustain us as well. Verse 2 is a great imagery of our salvation. He says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he says, here that it's, it's a desperate pit, it's a miry bog. And what one Christian said about this description is that what's being described here is, quote, all that can be suggested of horror and floundering helplessness. All that can be suggested of horror and floundering helplessness. This is a picture, really, of every single one of us before we knew our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was the absolute picture, all that can be suggested of horror and floundering helplessness. We were in a desolate pit, the pit of destruction. We were in a miry bog. It, the, the image here is like it's like a pit that is so slippery on its sides that you are trying desperately to get out on your own, but there's no way that you can deliver yourself. It's floundering, helplessness. There's no way out, no way to deliver yourself, and yet you are doomed. It, it is, it's meant to conjure up the desperate plight that we were in before we were Christians. He drew me up. He drew me out of deep waters, one other phrase in the psalm says. We were desperate, we were floundering, we were helpless, and God bent down and lifted us up. And it says here, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I don't know if you guys remember the story back in the day of young Jessica McClure who fell into that pipe in her backyard. Do you remember that? Back in, she's actually 27 years old now. I was looking up the story, and and but many of you who are older like me, you'll remember the the story of Jessica McClure. It was just a pipe in the backyard that this little girl was walking, and she she stepped just straight. One of her feet just went straight down into the pipe, and just the way it managed to happen, I, it, it was crazy. Her other leg went straight up to her face and so she was like this and she just went straight down the pipe and she was crying and crying her parents finally realized what had happened and you imagine the horror of being down in this pit down in this pipe this little girl crying and there was just no way out no way to get out without great help it was a it became a national story and they they ended up realizing that this pipe was very narrow, but right below where baby Jessica was, right down below that, there was the, the pipe widened, and it was actually a very scary scenario because she kept sliding little by little down, but then that pipe was going to open up into a great chasm of darkness leading to her death if she reached that spot. And so they dug desperately. They excavated all the way down, uh, and then they then they cut over underneath the Jessica, and they cut out the pipe. But brothers and sisters, as you look at that desperate plight, as that little girl's crying with no way to get out, that that imagery there of sliding, sliding, sliding down into a dark abyss of death. That is the imagery that we. 
before we knew Jesus Christ were in. We were in the pit of destruction, in a miry bog, slipping down further and further and further with floundering helplessness. And the only end of it was not just our death, but as the Bible says, the second death, where we would have been lost and sent to hell for our sins forever without God. But God had mercy on us. He bent down. He sent down his son into the pit. He sent his precious Jesus down. And Jesus drew us up. Jesus rescued us. And you imagine when you are slipping in a pit and there's no way out, you are sliding down knowing you are sliding down to your death and that there's no hope and you actually give up hope and all of a sudden you realize that you are, you are being drawn up and now all of a sudden you have gone from that place to actually being up on solid ground and seeing the light of day again, how you would feel to have the ground, to have the rock underneath of your feet again. That's what this imagery here is in this psalm. God has wrought a mighty salvation in your life. And this story was a happy, happy story of them being able to deliver baby Jessica out before she reached that spot where she would have slipped to her death. And they brought her out and she's happy and healthy, living her life now. And we're so all grateful for that. Are you amazed at your salvation? When you think of what God's done for you, does it just affect you so deeply? We need to enter in, brothers and sisters, into the reality of how desperate and how dark and how floundering and how hopeless we were. Can you remember that? Even though I grew up in the church, I can remember that. I remember just the hypocrisy of sitting in church like this week after week after week and singing the songs and just knowing that I was mouthing the words of the songs, but my heart wasn't there. And I knew that after church on Sunday night that I was going to go and sin again because I didn't care about following Jesus. I didn't love him. And I took for granted that he died on the cross. And I didn't have this heart of, he drew me up from the pit of destruction and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. It, it meant nothing to me. One of my things in my testimony is, is just, I remember even saying to people, yeah, I know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I remember saying it even just like that. If you can say the phrase when you think of your salvation, I know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. If you say it like that, I want to let you know I relate to that because that's where I was. But we don't see, we don't see how desperate our darkness was. And we don't see with right eyes how grateful we should be that He has now set our feet upon a rock and has made our steps secure. Oh, dear church, may we, as the years go by, may we never forget that we have been delivered from the pit of destruction. You and I, as Christians, have been delivered from eternal death in hell, suffering eternal conscious torment, justly from a holy God for our sins that we've committed against Him. God has saved us by sending Jesus to bear all of that punishment and all of that wrath for all of our sins in here who have believed. He placed all of that guilt, all of that filth, all of that darkness on Jesus, the only innocent one, and then fully punished Jesus instead of you, instead of me. Jesus endured the pit of destruction. Jesus entered into the miry bog in order to draw you out and rescue you.
aren't you so grateful for Jesus? Can we just thank him just right now, just tell him how much we love him? And... We love you, Jesus. You're, you're why we're here. He says here in verse 3, I love this, he put a new song in my mouth. You know, one of the things that changed in my senior year of high school when the Lord saved me was the songs were all different now. I remember coming in the church, the same church. I remember coming in and sitting down and we started singing. And all of a sudden, I remember because we, we would always sing the hymns and we would open our hymnal. And for some reason, I don't know if, if, if you can relate to me, some of you maybe who grew up in a more traditional church. I grew up in a conservative Baptist church and we sung our hymns every Sunday. But I remember we would always sing the first, second, and fourth stanza, never the third. And, and I remember thinking... I remember thinking at that time, like, I remember, I, I just remember thinking, oh, go, 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 we're going to skip the third and go to the fourth, and after that, the service will be over, and then after that, I hope we can get out of here really quick, because I want to get home for, at one o'clock for the start of the Eagles game. I do not want to miss the start. I don't want to miss the kickoff, and that was just my mentality. I just, and now, after God opened up my eyes, that he drew me up out of the pit of destruction, it was like I... All the songs were different to me now. All the songs, they were the same songs even, but all this, my heart had changed. He had put even new songs in my heart, and I remember singing it. It was just kind of like many of us felt this morning. It was like, oh man, I hope there's one more. I hope there's one more song at the end of the service so I could sing to Jesus one more time. And he's put a new song in my mouth. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? There's just this... There used to be that mentality of, I can't wait till church is done. And it shifted to, oh my goodness, can we sing one more? Can we, can we praise God one more time before we close? Because he's filled my heart with a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to my God. I love that heart. I love that description of what salvation does in a true believer. It's just like before you never wanted to sing, but once he saves you truly, one of the evidences that you've been truly born again is that you just want to sing about it. I love singing. It's just, it's so appropriate. It's just, I love you. I love you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. And I'm so thankful he changed me. So many of you know what I'm talking about. Like We could have gone on and on and on living an entire church life existence like that where all we did was look at our watch and think, man, I just can't wait to get out of here. That could have been my whole entire life had God not come down to me. And I never, it never ceases to amaze me out of the 237 kids in my senior year at Sun Valley High School back in 1992 why is it that God sent a youth leader into my life to challenge me that I wasn't living it? Why did the Holy Spirit come looking for me that night as I couldn't fall asleep? And that challenge pierced my own heart and helped me see that I was a hypocrite where I could never have seen it before. Why did all of a sudden the awareness that I wasn't giving God my whole heart, but was truly a hypocrite. Why did it pierce me with a pain? And why did I say to God, I want to live all out for you from this point forward? To where when I started hearing about Jesus and how he died on the cross for me, it was like I never heard about that before. Why out of all the hypocrites? Why did he come and deliver me? <laughs> he could have let me go on. I deserved to slip down further and further, thinking that I was a pretty good kid, slipping down all the way to hell. But instead, he drew me up. And he drew you up, those of you who have believed and repented of your sins. And may we never forget it. May we always love it. And as the years go by, may it become dearer and dearer to us. 
may the volume of our voices, even as we get older, brothers and sisters, may it only rise and grow. May the songs that we sing just be more and more precious, more and more heartfelt as we sing to our precious God who sent his son to draw us up out of the pit. I love the psalm that says, Make his praise great and glorious. May we just constantly sing and celebrate in this church. I pray that through the years, and as we grow old together, that when we're 70, 80, 90 years old, if the Lord grants us that life, that we'll be crazier for Jesus then than we are even right now. Don't you feel that way? If we keep our eyes on this and don't forget it, and don't forget the plight, and don't forget that he drew you out, out of all the millions of lost on this earth, he looked at you He had regard for your plight, and he drew you out. It'll protect us, I believe, brothers and sisters, from ever taking it for granted that he ever did such a thing. And we won't be able to help but just praise him with ever-increasing passion to serve him with more and more zeal and devotion, even as time goes on. And the troubles of this life come upon us. It will always bring us back to true center. That I was a wretch. That the Lord drew up out of the pit of destruction. Charles Spurgeon and many other Christians in the past have had on their gravestones, Sinner saved by grace. It's like they just wanted the one thing said about them. That as for me, I was in the pit. I was in the miry bog. That was the sum total of my existence apart from God. But he drew me up. And I want this gravestone to testify to everybody who comes and sees it. That I don't think of myself as a great man a great person. I never lost my eyes. I never lost my focus on the true state of things. That he drew me up. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. (coughs) Excuse me. Thank you so much, church, for your passion. I'm so inspired being here worshiping next to you. And God, may you grant that we never lose sight of that focus, no matter what we go through as individuals, no matter what we go through and endure as churches, that we're going to go through very hard trials as individuals in our lives and very hard trials at times even as we are serving together, building together God's church. But you know what? Nothing changes this fact that he drew us up from the pit of destruction and has made our steps secure. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. And so listen, there's going to be times we come in here celebrating triumphantly, celebrating the victory and feeling victorious. There's going to be other times we are so broken with tears and suffering in our lives and so low and thinking, oh my goodness, I don't even know that I'm going to make it. Hey, listen, that's okay. That's okay. Because he's got us. And he's put our feet on the rock. And nobody can take that away from us. And no matter how bad it ever gets in our lives, oh, dear church, may we never forget, he's got us and he's never going to let us go. Thank you so much, Lord. David's so filled with praise, he's like, hey, I just want many people, 3B says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He's just celebrating that the effect of this salvation is going to overflow and pour out. And then in verse 4, he says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. He says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. I can't help but look at that and ask, what is my definition of blessed? 
What is your definition of blessed, brothers and sisters? I love how 4A says, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who makes the Lord his or her trust. When you trust in the Lord, you are saved out of the pit of destruction and you are above all peoples on this earth most blessed. I think though, as I pay attention to my life, I tend to slip into grading my life on how it's going. And even at times I'll find myself saying, I've been blessed. And a lot of times, blessedness gets the definition of when my finances are secure, when my health is doing well, or my family's health is doing well, when I'm feeling happy, stress-free, no suffering. We tend to talk about whether or not we're blessed based off of the state of our circumstances in our life, don't we? I can slip into that. You know what I love about 4A? Is that blessedness is a state of fixedness in the life of any true Christian because they have put their trust in the Lord and they are saved out of the miry bog forever. You are above all peoples on this earth, dear church, most blessed. May we never forget that. And when we think of describing, I'm so blessed, may it be that when we think of, I'm so blessed, that we think of the fact that we've been delivered out of the pit, that we've been delivered out of the miry bog, and that God has set our feet on the rock of salvation, and that he's made our steps secure, because we've trusted in the Lord by grace. And so now and forevermore, I am in this state, this fixed state of blessedness, that no matter how much I'm ever pressed with trials and difficulty in this life, it never shakes off of me the description of the word blessed. Blessed is the man, the woman, who makes the Lord his trust. There's a description there in B that we are called not to turn to the proud. The phrase there, proud, means to go, is literally talking about the proud was descriptive of Egypt. And you might remember that after God's people were delivered out and heading toward the promised land in the wilderness, it, it's always our temptation to hearken back and to look back at Egypt, to look back at the world and to think, man, we had it so good back then. It's just our fallen nature to do so. And, and we see here that part of the fight in the Christian life is to not turn to the proud, to not put our trust in the world and its false refuges, the proud, or to look to man or Egypt for our security. We make the Lord our trust, and there's a daily fight to continue to do so. And he says there, to those who go astray after a lie, literally that means to turn back toward a lie. This, this can be descriptive of Satan's lies. He's the father of lies. He wants to lie to you and tell you that you're not blessed. You're not blessed. God has not been good to you. And he will seek to discourage you through so many stratagems to get you to start wavering in your conviction that God has been good to me. And if he can just put that seed of doubt like he did to Eve in the garden, did God really say that you can't eat it? Does that sound like a good God to you, Eve? That he would deprive you of this? If he could just plant that seed of doubt, of unbelief through his lies, he knows that it becomes then a powerful temptation for us not to trust in the Lord and to go astray or to turn back toward a lie. And you know what? Many of us in this room, and I include myself in here, I face that type of battle like every single day to turn back or turn against the Lord and pursue a lie. May we 
continue to encourage one another, as long as it's called today, Hebrews 3 says, so that we might not become hardened by the deceitfulness of the sin, so that we might not turn back towards Satan's lies, and we continue to fight to put our trust in the Lord. May we really strive hard in our church life to encourage the weary, to encourage the wanderers, and to encourage us all to continue to put our trust in the Lord as we go through our lives. That's one of the precious privileges of living life in the local church, to encourage each other in our small groups. To, you know, I was saying to our church recently, let's all really freshly commit to the small group fellowship in our church's life so that we can really encourage one another in that Hebrews 3 spirit. Not go through the motions, but recognize that we are all being tempted to turn back to Egypt and the world, and we're all being tempted to turn back from the Lord because of, the, of Satan's lies. There's a real spiritual warfare that we are in, and, and it's so vital for us to get a vision for helping one another toward heaven in this fight in this dangerous journey, this fight of faith that we're all in. And dear church, may we freshly get a resolve in our souls to look around, look around this room and recognize God has called each one of us to be with one another. And part of the vision is to help one another toward heaven. Like Christian and hopeful, the dear friends in Pilgrim's Progress, all the way through until they cross the river of death and enter in the glory together. I, I got vision for that in the life of our church and in the life here of this church to just, oh Lord, I want to do everything I can to help my brother, to help my sister, to put their eyes back on Jesus again in their struggle as they're being tempted and to put their trust afresh in the Lord. Uh, part of the remedy of that is seen in verse 5 when we are being lied to by Satan what verse 5 says is, You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. There's references here to past, present, and future attention and kindness from God. There's, there's reference here that the God has multiplied his wondrous deeds and his thoughts toward us. It's reminiscent of that precious scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And that Satan wants to so get our eyes off of that promise and get us thinking that God doesn't have good plans for us. He's not working all things together for our good, because he knows that we'll be tempted to turn back there. And the remedy is to remember, no, Satan, you're a liar. This is the truth. God has multiplied his wondrous deeds and his thoughts toward me. And to battle the lies of Satan with the truth of God's word. David, in the midst of that fight, he's, he's so amazed and grateful that he's been saved. In verse 6, he turns and, and he, he begins to say, in sacrifice and offering, God, he's desirous to respond to God's salvation of his soul by living a life of obedience and holiness to God. David here is, is making, it, making us aware freshly that when we become Christians, we are called to put our trust in the Lord, but we are also called to, I love the way the old hymn says, trust and obey. That there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That a true Christian always puts their trust in the Lord for their salvation, but then they evidence that true trust in Jesus by a life of obedience. And not perfect or sinless obedience. We still struggle with indwelling sin every day, but there's a holy resolve in us. And you see it in David, where he begins to talk about just these desires in 6 through 8, to want to live a life of committed obedience and sacrifice to God. He says, you've given me an open ear, God. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. And there's this heart in David. He's like, I want, to, I want to give to you, Lord, the sacrifice of all sacrifices. I want to give you all my heart and all my devotion. In verse 7 he says, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. Verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written 
in my heart. And this is awesome. You guys are going to love this. And many of you might have even made the connection when I just read that. But this is the exact turn of phrase right here that in Hebrews chapter 5, it says in God's word, when it's talking about the sacrifice of our great high priest, it says, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people, talking about the human high priest. Verse 4, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Verse 5, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And it's wonderful. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10, listen to this. It says in verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then in verse 5 it says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Psalm 40, 6 through 8. And it's so awesome here because God's word says, when Christ came into the world, he said. So this description in Psalm 40 that were David's words, here the apostle says these are Christ's words. When he comes in his incarnation, he says this, Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. But then he asked, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This verse 6 through 8 here that David says out of his devotion of having been saved, Oh Lord, I want to live a life of obedience to you. I've offered up and I've given myself an open ear to you, to obey you, to follow you, to serve you. Jesus says, Lord, I have come to do your will, and I offer up my body. I offer up my body as a sacrifice. It's awesome, that description of ear, and then the apostle says body. In Isaiah 50, there's a connection here with this. Isaiah 50, verse 4, you can just write the reference, but I want you to see this, because this is just so awesome. I'm like, it fires me up. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear. He awakens my ear. This is talking about the suffering servant. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear. Here's a prophecy. He's opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward after lies. And then it says this, that his obedience, this is how far it's going to go. Verse 6 in Isaiah 50. 700 years before Jesus even came, this says this about him. I love this. I gave my back to those who strike. Thank you, Jesus. And my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. His obedience is going to be obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross, where he's going to offer up his back. That's a specific description. He's going to offer himself up to disgrace. He's going to offer himself up 
to those who would pull out his beard and reminds us that there are sufferings that Christ endured that, that we don't even know about, things that he felt, pains in his body, pains in his soul. He never was rebellious. He never turned backward. But his obedience was going to lead him to give up his back to those who strike his cheeks, to those who pull out the beard. And he's not going to hide his face from disgrace and spitting. That's the measure of obedience that it took to save us. David prophesies here, this is my heart, God. I want to come and do your will. I want to offer up a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. This is David, but David couldn't offer up that sacrifice to end all sacrifices because David, like us, was a sinner. But what's so glorious about this is that God, through the apostle in Hebrews chapter 10, says actually, David here, you know, he wasn't speaking ultimately about himself. Guess who he's talking about? He's talking about our Jesus who's going to come. And he's going to offer up a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He's going to offer up a life of devotion saying, here I come. I come down from heaven to earth being born in a manger as a baby. And I'm going to live a sinless life of obedience. I am going to say, I delight, verse 8, to do your will, oh my God. Your law is written within my heart. And that holy law of God that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. David didn't do it. Nobody in this church has done it. I've never done it, but I'm going to bring one. My son, the obedient one, the perfect one, who's going to offer up a life of obedience that's acceptable to me. And he's going to offer up that life to so much of a degree that he's going to suffer and die for the sins of those whom he's dying for. And they are going to be cleansed of their sins through that obedient one. And they I choose to also give them my son's perfect obedience, my son's delighting to do my will. I will choose, the Father says, to credit his holy resolve and his completed work that I have come and I have delighted to do my Father's will. And when he cried out in agony on the cross, it is finished, that perfect life of obedience came to its close. And the good news for every one of us who are believers in this room, and get this, is that that perfect obedience is now yours by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not our own doing. It is the free gift of God to all who believe in Jesus, God's Son, the perfect one, the obedient one. Isn't this so awesome? That's how God sees you now. You look in the mirror, so do I, every morning, and I just think, oh God, I let you down so often. In fact, later on, David is saying, he's saying, listen, evils have encompassed me, verse 12. They've encompassed me beyond number. And this is what David says. He says, my iniquities, he's talking about now as, a, as someone following God. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. I am so racked with sin, David says, even after my declaration to want to obey, that my iniquities are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. You know, so many times, brothers and sisters, in my Christian life, and I, I hope that some of you can relate and be, be encouraged by this, it grieves me that I can be up here preaching like this heralding the grace of God, talking about my salvation, reveling in it, and truly doing so. I mean, I, I feel so genuinely in love with Jesus. And I know, I know that I can walk through here after church service, and as I'm helping put my eight-year-old daughter in the car, I could become impatient with her and get angry at her or something. That grieves me. Let alone, I, I just know that I think of how often I could be here singing praises to God, genuinely and loving Jesus, and, and not too quickly of a time turnaround. Sometimes even in the next instant, I could be tempted to a lustful thought and even sin. I'm so encouraged by what David says here in verse 12 that my iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. Evils are encompassing me beyond number. They're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. So many times in my Christian life, my heart fails me 
because of that reality. And I want to encourage you, you're not a hypocrite. If you can relate to that, you're not a hypocrite. You do really love Jesus, and you really do want to live a life of obedience. But you know what? For us, we are still sinners. Even though we've received our new nature, and if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, but the new has come. That old nature still remains within us. We are still sinners. We still struggle. We praise God genuinely, and then we still go and turn around, and we will sin at times in ways that grieve the Lord and make us wonder, what's wrong with me? Is this real at all in my life because I still struggle like I do? Listen, I want to encourage you, dear brother, dear sister, it is real in you. You're just struggling with the battle. But guess what? You and I struggle in the battle and we fail so many times miserably. Our hope is not in us winning the battle. Our hope is that we have one who has won the battle, who was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. The obedient one, the perfect one, who is our obedience, who is our perfection, who, when God looks down upon us right now, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus' perfection. The I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. And we can just say, oh, God, thank you for that grace. Thank you that I'm covered for every hypocrisy and every struggle in my life, everything. Lord, I love you. And I thank you that not only have you saved me, but as it says here in verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me want to drive this home deep because it's something I can forget so quickly in my Christian life. God has not only saved you, dear church, He is committed to sustaining you all the way to the end. He is going to ever preserve us. And our hope as a church, our hope as individual Christians, is not in our ability to fight. Our hope is that there is one who is fighting for us our great God who has saved us out of the miry bog and the pit of destruction, but also promises here, this is a promise in verse 11, that he will not restrain his mercy from us and also that his steadfast love and his faithfulness will ever preserve me. It will never be taken away from you or I, no matter how much we struggle, no matter how many times we stumble. God is committed that he has begun a good work in each one of us who are believers in this room, and he's going to carry it on to completion. Isn't that such good news? It's the precious doctrine of the preservation of the saints. But here it is just in the Word. He's never going to let you go. He's going to ever preserve you. I love the way it says there toward the end that God takes thought of me. What is man that you're even mindful Of him, David cries out in Psalm 8. But here we learn that God is ever mindful of us, that he's never going to let us go. Every single tear that you cry, it says in Scripture, is stored up in his bottle. He sees everything. He sees every one of your troubles, every one of your plights, individually and as a church. And he's just got it all. And he's going to preserve you. He's going to preserve our church. And I I just thank God that that's not up to us. It's just we can rest secure that he has put our feet on the rock and he's going to make our steps secure because he's a God who's committed to not only save and begin a work, but to carry it all the way to the completion and preserve the work. Awesome. (laughs) Let it uplift all of our hearts, our weary hearts this morning, because as David says here, heading from 12 through 17, we need it. We are still in the fight David says, evils have encompassed me beyond number. Sometimes it seems like they don't quit, do they, brothers and sisters? Iniquities have overtaken me. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil constantly pressing us. But you know what? And he's even crying out. There's a desperation. And if any of you in here are feeling desperate like I am, be comforted that David knows. He says, please, be pleased, O Lord. Please deliver me. O Lord, verse 13, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. See, they're seeking to snatch away David's life. But the king, David's greatest son, they didn't just seek to snatch it, they did snatch it away. And he gave up his life on the cross. But the father raised him up to new life again. 
and he is our salvation. Let those who be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Yeah, they delighted in Jesus' hurt, but he rose up victorious from the grave anyway. Amen. Verse 15, let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, oh great, you think you're the son of God. Why don't you come down from the cross and prove it if you think so? Mocking him, spitting upon him, casting lots for his clothing, putting a sign up there, hail king of the Jews. I mean, it was just this big scorn and mockery, and they thought they had won a great victory. Satan and hell thought they had won. They didn't know it was coming on day three when God raised his son up from the dead and brought him up triumphant and victorious over the grave and bringing us all up and together into that salvation. We, through faith, are united together in Christ, and so we ourselves are united together in that glorious victory church that's why we celebrate we are desperate in this church we are embattled but take heart christ is our obedience christ is our perfection christ is our victory verse 16 but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad and you may those who love your salvation say continually great is the lord great indeed because he rises his son up from the grave and we are caught up and united together in christ in that great resurrection and when we suffer to the point even of our bodies dying that will not be the end of the story for the true christian we will be raised up together with christ to enjoy him forever in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells listen every one of us in this church who are born again christians your story no matter how battled no matter in battle no matter how desperate this is the story over your life it will end with a very happy ending but you know what we can relate to verse 17 in closing as for me i am poor and needy but here's our comfort church but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and deliverer. Do not delay. Oh my God. Just because we're caught up in the victory and that's real doesn't mean that we don't feel the battle. And listen, for any of you in the room right now who are just feeling the battle, I just hope you're encouraged. This is normal. This is the normal Christian life. We are delivered but desperate that's okay we're desperate but don't ever forget this you're delivered and nothing can take that away from you god's got you he has saved you and he's going to preserve you hallelujah praise the lord let's pray Lord, I thank you so much for this glorious salvation. Thank you, obedient one. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and doing your Father's will. Thank you for saying you delight to do the Father's will. You are our hope. I pray for anybody here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that they would put their trust in the Lord, as the psalm says. I pray that they would believe in you, Jesus, with all their heart, soul, and they would run away from their own sins, but also run away from their own righteousness. Our righteousness could never deliver us, Lord. There was never an obedient one except for you, Jesus. So I pray for each one of us to put our hope in you, to put our trust in you. I pray for us as your people who already are Christians in this room. Help us to put our trust in you afresh this morning and to take heart that even though we're desperate, we've been delivered from the miry bog from the pit of destruction, from the eternal hell that we deserve because you took that punishment fully for us, obedient one. You have washed us thoroughly of all of our iniquities and cleansed us from all of our sins. And you have chosen to declare each one of us in this room who believe in you righteous and holy in your sight. Thank you so much for this great salvation. We as a church just want to close and say, as David did, great is the Lord. Great are you, Lord. Not great us. Great you. That is our song. That's been this church's song from its beginnings. And that's this church's song now in the present. And that will be this church's song heading into the future. And that will be our song as your saints throughout all of eternity in heaven. <laughs> Great, great is the Lord.
And Lord, we do. We just want to close with singing a new song out from our hearts. Hearts that are just grateful. Thank you for delivering us from the pit of destruction, from the miry bog. Thank you so much for promising not only to start the work, but saying I'm going to ever preserve you with my steadfast love and faithfulness. Don't you fear for I am with you and I'm never going to let you go. Thank you so much, God, because we are desperate and we cry out like David, help us, oh God, for we are poor and needy. But we thank you that you have bent down, that you are mindful of us, that you are inclined toward us and that you see everything that we're going through and you see everything we're going through as a church and you know it all and you are in control of it all and you are good and you're working it all together for good and your glory. And we know that this is in your hands and that we are yours, and that you've got us, and that you're going to keep us. We want to sing to describe to you how much we feel. We love you, and we're so grateful to be saved. We're so grateful to be included amongst the blessed ones. When so many are cursed and heading toward hell, maybe enjoying the pleasures of this world for a short time, but they are heading to an eternity of destruction. Lord, we pray, use us to proclaim Christ so that they might be saved. But for all of us in this church who are born again, we just want to say, oh God, amongst all the peoples on the earth, we are most blessed because by grace we've trusted in you. Thank you for opening up our eyes. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for preserving us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to sing, don't you? Let's stand up and sing a new song to the Lord. We praise you, great and almighty God. You're awesome.